It's the Adam Ritz Show, a social awareness talk show touching on fellowship, leadership, philanthropy, and more. Adam hosts the show on location from coast to coast, interviewing college students, student athletes, campus administrators, professional athletes, and social experts about social issues ranging from bullying to Twitter and everything in between. And now, it's your social awareness radio host, Adam Ritz. I'm Adam Ritz, and today we're on the campus of Butler University, and we are broadcasting at the FISI National Convention in front of a live studio audience. Excellent, gentlemen, and we are here to honor you for your community service with the Boys and Girls Club of America. That is uh, the national, I guess, foundation organization that you work with nationally. And on each campus, you get involved with your own groups to raise money and raise awareness, uh, raise awareness and raise funds for the Girls and Boys Club of America. And I don't even know if I explained that right, so let's just have a volunteer come up here and tell me what the heck you guys do with the Boys and Girls Club of America. Is it boys and girls or girls and boys? See, I, I don't even know. So if somebody needs to explain this to me. Okay, come on up here, sir. Okay, our first guest is? My name's Shane. I'm from Ohio. There's a lot of corn. <laughs> There's a lot of corn in Ohio. Ohio. Ohio University, the Bobcats? No, University of Toledo. University of Toledo. Corn. More corn. More corn in the northern part of Ohio. And yes, you work on campus. You raise funds and awareness for the Boys and Girls Club yes, of, uh, of T Toledo. Yep. And how do you do that? Uh, we actually host Fisai Quesadilla Night, where we sell tickets, and we make quesadillas all night, 10 to 2, and all the proceeds go to our local Boys and Girls Club. Looks like you've had a few quesadillas. I've actually had quite a few quesadillas, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what are these? Chicken? No, steak just, and chicken? Just, just cheese. cheese? Just all cheese quesadillas. That's it. So that's a great scam. Oh, pretty much, yeah. Just cheese and tortilla? Yeah, that's it. You just whip it up we and raise money. We get there, though. We just, we just say quesadillas. They show up like, ah, it's only cheese. And then when they complain that it's only cheese, you say it's for the Boys and Girls Club. And get out of here. They already bought their ticket. They already bought the ticket. Yeah, there you go. So in the last quesadilla uh, fest... Uh, how much money was raised? Uh, over $1,400. $1,400. Let's give him a round of applause. That's awesome. Awesome. I'm coming. I I'm coming to Toledo. I want some quesadillas. I'll be there. Uh, let's have another example. Uh, we've got several campuses represented here uh, at this convention. Sir, what is your name? Uh, my name is Frank Brist. Frank, uh, what campus are you from? I'm from IUPUI. And what do you guys do for the Girls and Boys Club of America? Uh, we have a car bash every semester. A car bash? A car bash. You guys know what a car bash is? Okay, I don't. What's a car bash? Uh, it's where you take a sledgehammer and swing at an old car. And you sell tickets. I'm, I'm assuming a dollar per swing, or or you, you get a discount. What if I give you a hundred bucks? Could I just tear that car apart all day? Uh, what we do is we actually set it up in our little green area at campus. Uh, it's three dollars for five hits. To $10 for unlimited hits and a t-shirt or just $5 for unlimited hits. Whose car is it? Some freshman? Uh, no, we get free cars from uh, Pull Apart here in Indianapolis. That is a, a car bash. I'm, I, I'm coming to that. Alright, I've got quesadillas. I can beat up a car. How much uh, money was raised for the Boys and Girls Club? Uh, we raised uh, $2,300. Fantastic. Let's have a round of applause for Frank. Thank you so much. That's my favorite part of these uh, stories is that every campus does their own thing, whether it's uh, beating up cars or quesadillas or some sort of physical activity, dunk tanks, whatever. Um, anybody else have a good one to share, some fun activity you do on campus? What is your name, sir? My name is Mark. Mark, uh, what campus? Uh, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Cal, you, all right, nice traveling here. Uh, Cal Poly, uh, they call it slow, yes. right? 
Yes. Uh, and what is uh, what do you guys do for the uh, Boys and Girls Club? We actually have a sortie soccer cup. All the sorties pay a fee, and they have a tournament, and they just rag on each other and play soccer. You get the sororities to do all the work. Yeah, that's exactly what I Let's have a round of applause. <laughs> that's all right. You're the ultimate Tom Sawyer. You get all the sororities to play a soccer tournament, and you get all the money. Exactly. You're kind of a soccer pimp. Uh, in a way, yeah. Okay, how much money was raised for the Boys and Girls Club of America? We raised just over $1,200. That is fantastic. Round of applause. Thank you so much. So you can see how uh, hundreds of campuses with the FISI organization, coast to coast, getting involved on their campus, raising uh, those kind of dollars for the Boys and Girls Club of America, it quickly adds up into a ton of money. And that is a, a way to give back. It's a way to raise awareness, raise funds. So it's an inspiration to all of us listening to this broadcast to meet you gentlemen and know the work you do with the Boys and Girls Club of America. Let's give yourselves one more final round of applause. Send your questions, comments, or concerns to The Adam Ritz Show by emailing adam at adamritz.com. The Adam Ritz Show pushes on from the west. I'm in Colorado in Estes Park in the beautiful Rocky Mountains, and we're going to categorize this part of the show as, uh, as education. We talk about a lot of social issues on this show, and we're going to focus on education, the importance of education, and more specifically, how much fun American history can be. I'm at the Stanley Hotel uh, in Estes Park, Colorado, and our guest is Jesse Freitas. And Jesse, uh, what is your title here at the Stanley Hotel? I am the guest services manager of the hotel, meaning that I run all the tours for the hotel. I'm also in charge of our archive room where we collect the artifacts from the history of the hotel. And then I'm also involved in a few other operations, including our Stanley Film Festival, our butterfly releases, and also our sculpture garden that we have here on property. And the Stanley Hotel, everybody listening to this broadcast knows what this hotel means to American pop culture. Uh, but you might not know it just by hearing the name the Stanley Hotel. So I'll let Jesse explain why this hotel is so important both in American history and in American pop culture. One of the big things about the Stanley Hotel that a lot of people don't know is the original grand opening was actually on July 4th, 1909. So the same day we celebrate our independence, this hotel was open, and they had a huge opening ceremony, um, debuted a party in our concert hall, which would have been originally called the Stanley Hall, and um, Casino It was another name that they used for that. And they had John Philip Sousa actually came and played here on property for this huge grand opening. Now, uh, the original owner, Freeland Oscar Stanley, he was actually originally from Kingsfield, Maine. Uh, he was born in 1849. He did have an identical twin brother named Francis Edgar as well, too. So you have these two identical twin brothers. They grew up back east. They were very innovative. Um, they were credited for um, several different companies. They uh, started the Stanley Dry Plate Company, which was originally or eventually sold to Eastman Kodak in the early 1900s. And they also were involved in the Stanley Motor Carriage Company. Now, you may wonder what is the Stanley Motor Carriage Company? That is the Stanley Steamer. Um, so the classic cars from back in the early, it was late 1800s, they, they started manufacturing these cars and went up into the 1917 is the time that they sold sold their interest in that company. Um, so the Stanley Steamer, a uh, very popular car. We have them here at the hotel, and we feature those on our tours. 
Yeah, they're beautiful cars. And so the Stanley uh, brothers, they're industrial revolutionists, turn of the century, uh, very wealthy and patented with inventions and cars. And even today, some of what they did with photography is used. Uh, I learned this last night on the tour, by the way. I don't know everything in the world. I just know what I learned from from your staff. Uh, And this hotel built in 1909, or grand opening in 2009, it is a, I guess you'd call it a national historic site. Uh, a building. It's protected by our government. Is that the way this works? Correct. Yeah, we are part of the historic hotels of America. So anything we do on property here, we kind of have to run by and make sure we're within keeping that original feel to the hotel. So it is It is 104 years old now. Um, it's a great place. It has a lot of charm. Um, it also has, you know, paranormal activity and uh, haunting reports and all, all sorts of things that happen here. And we have a lot of events, lots of weddings, um, it's just really a one-of-a-kind place to be, not only because of the Rocky Mountain National Park and Estes Park being right outside our front door here, but just the hotel itself. You don't really see architecture like this building. It's um, Georgian colonial revival-style architecture, something very common with F.O. Stanley, our owner. He had homes back east, and he kind of had the same architecture design in all the buildings and his original home is actually still in Estes Park it's a half mile from the hotel it is a private residence but he had a 50 or excuse me 5,280 square foot home um, with five bedrooms and a workshop Um, a couple of the other things he was known for he's a very avid billiards fan um, so he played a lot of billiards he also was a bowler so the casino which is now the concert hall actually originally had a two-lane bowling alley in the basement so when his guests came up, they had all these different activities to do and things he enjoyed. The other thing he was very famous for that some people out there will know is Stanley violins. These are very, very rare antique violins. They're worth about $110,000 to $125,000 if you happen to have one. So check your attic. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he was well known. He started carving. He made his first full violin, carved his first one at the age of 16. Um, so I don't know about you, but when I was 16, I definitely no. wasn't carving violins. No, so he was, he was ahead of his time at every step of his life, um, always looking ahead. He had a ton to do with the development of Estes Park as the town and also what eventually became the Rocky Mountain National Park. He was part of a, a protective environmental protective um, club, basically, that met when he first got to Estes Park. Who were, they were concerned about the elk population and keeping space um, to the wildlife so that people didn't just come in and hunt out Estes Park. And that originally or eventually turned into this idea of Rocky Mountain National Park that President Wilson signed in in 1915. Um, so that anniversary is coming up too for the mm-hmm. National Park. Um, but he was uh, kind of a leader, if you will, in just kind of pushing these ideas through. He brought the first power plant out here. Stanley Hotel was one of the first fully electrified um, hotels west of the Mississippi. So you're talking people came up to Estes Park on July 4th, and here is this lit up Stanley Hotel, you know, with power and all these amenities that no one is used to, and it's in this town up in the mountains. So even to this day, you come up here and you see the hotel on the hill, and it, it's just like, it seems almost out of place, but it was just, 
he was ahead of the, the curve every step of the way in his whole life. Well, it's, it's beautiful. Uh, it's historical to give our listeners kind of a sense. It reminds me, uh, it's like the Titanic almost. You feel a little bit like you're on, uh, not the ship. Uh, if the Titanic were a hotel in the middle of the Rocky Mountains, that's kind of what it feels like walking around here. Interesting fact um, about that, the unsinkable Molly Brown, she did stay at the Stanley Hotel. So tons of history here, and it's just a gorgeous place. And uh, so now we're supporting the tourism here at Rocky Mountain uh, National Park, Estes, Colorado, the Stanley Hotel. And you touched on something earlier I want to bring back to the conversation. Our guest is Jesse Fra- He's with the um, guest services of the Stanley Hotel. And one of the reasons you may know this hotel, well, two, there's two reasons. One is, and the smaller reason, is because it's been featured on a lot of these paranormal uh, shows. I, my kids love them, the ghost hunters. They actually come here, they spend the night with their night vision goggles and their ghost hunting technology, and they search for ghosts here in this hotel. You've had actually uh, documented cases of ghosts in the hotel over the last hundred years. Correct, yeah. The paranormal activity is something that we're very well known for. Um, Ghost adventures, ghost hunters, they've both filmed shows here. Some of them are planning on coming back. We do paranormal conferences. We usually do two or three a year with some of these groups where they bring people up here for the sole purpose of learning about um, hunting for ghosts, um, learning about the paranormal, and then they actually will, you know, rent out huge spaces of the hotel just for ghost hunting from 8 p.m. to 1 a.m. We do here at the hotel, um, we try to run our Stanley Paranormal Investigations a few times a month, so it's something anyone can come pay for. It's $60. You can come and hunt with our Paranormal Investigation Team, the Stanley Paranormal Investigation Team, for five hours in our concert hall in one of our haunted rooms. What's the uh, freakiest thing that's happened to you? Uh, Late night in your office, lights are shaking. I, what, you feel a hand on your shoulder. It's a bony finger. What, what's the weirdest thing that's happened to you? <laughs> well, it's funny you ask that, Adam, <laughs> because one of the weirdest things was actually during the daytime. Um, I walk into the tour office one day, and our doors are shut, and they're latched at the top. Um, and I walk in, and I go walk behind the desk, and the two far doors to the office just blow open. And we're not talking about just slowly creaking. Just We're talking bam and flew open. And I looked at the other person in the office, and she looked at me, and we're just like, all right, time to get to work. (laughs) And just the other night, I actually took a video in the concert hall. We have something downstairs that's called Lucy's Room, because we've had recorded, you know, the voice comes through and says Lucy quite a bit, this ghost or spirit, um, if you will, down in this room. Now, this door is actually on this rise in the carpet, so it catches. Now, what we do is we push the door back, and we try to communicate with Lucy to shut this door. Well, she does it quite often. I'm sure there's plenty of people out there who have been on a night ghost tour investigation here that can vouch for that. I actually have video footage the other night. I was I was playing around with it um, with a few people. We were trying to see if something would happen and had the video going. And I was talking, saying, Lucy, come on, come on. And in the video, there's such a thing called orbs. Now, uh-huh. orbs orbs catch in photographs. It's supposed to be catch, capturing that spirit in like just a moment, so that energy spirit. Um, And people come here, they take pictures all the time, they catch these orbs. Well, in this video, you actually see, you can see my hand kind of in part of my face, and you see this orb dart across the screen towards the door just in this brief flash, and then the door starts shutting, and then it shuts. Um, Are you... Are you actually here in front of me right now? Are you a human being, or am I talking to a ghost right now? I'm starting to wonder. This place is pretty cool. I'm not really sure. We'll, we'll see if I fade away at the end of this. Jesse Freitas is our guest. We're at the Stanley Hotel, and we save the best for last. Uh, one of the reasons uh, a lot of people come here is to see the, I guess, the birthplace, the genesis of the book, The Shining. 
uh, Stephen King stayed in this hotel um, and was freaked out and got the idea for The Shining. And he wrote that book, uh, which we all know has gone on to be a great movie. And um, uh, he's even made his own version of it. It made for TV six-hour miniseries. Uh, the Shining is a, such a huge part of American pop culture, and it started right here at the Stanley Hotel, which is independent of all the paranormal activity that's happening anyway. So, so maybe the ghosts freaked Stephen King out enough, and that's what helped him write the, the book. That's correct, actually. Um, if you check his website, it, it, he talks a little bit about coming to the hotel. He came up here in late 1974, late September of 1974. He was trying to get over to Grand Lake, actually. And those of you who don't know the area, that's over Trail Ridge Road, which is the highest road in Colorado. So uh, it snowed, and you weren't going to get through. So him and his wife, Tabitha, came back down. They saw the Stanley Hotel and decided why not stop for the night. Now, this was at a point in time where the hotel still didn't have heat in the main building, so they didn't stay open over the winter, which is where this whole uh, concept of the Torrance family coming up comes from. So they stop. They let him stay. They were just winding down the season, so there's not a lot of people here. Him and his wife, um, they have a meal in Pinion Billiard, and um, actually Mick Garris, the director of the miniseries, told me that Stephen King relayed to him that when he was having dinner in the pinion billiard room he looks into this mirror and he thought you know he saw something like something sparked his you know creativity if you Uh will and he turned away and he kind of his mind was going at that point now he of course i'm sure wandered around the hotel at night it's kind of unclear exactly what he saw but he does state that he woke up in kind of a panic in the middle of the night because he had this dream that this fire hose was chasing his son down the hall and these fire hoses are actually on the walls you can see the old uh, spout still in the hotel which is part of that historic element that we still keep Mm -hmm. Um, he had that dream that was chasing him so he wakes up and he's kind of rattled and he sits he smokes a cigarette and he said he had the the bones of the book the novel the shining after that stay here so everything comes back here Um, the Stanley Kubrick version of the film um, was not shot here which some people are disappointed to find that out but the whole idea of the shining and jack torrance and the isolation the snow and the ghosts it all comes from our hotel here which is very exciting and i had heard uh, from a tour i took around the facility that he went to the bar stephen king went to the bar and the bartender's name was grady that is correct and from uh, and again i've just watched the shining so that makes sense to me but for our listeners that haven't seen the shining in a while grady was the name of the caretaker that ended up murdering his family a decade prior to when Jack Nicholson and the film got to the Overlook Hotel. So Grady, the names, the uh, it's really neat from an American history point of view and American pop culture point of view to be in this building with the paranormal activity, the history, and now with the genesis of The Shining happening here. It's pretty cool to be here. Jesse, we thank you so much for your time uh, in helping to promote education because I'm telling you kids, American history can be fun. If you're out and about, Look for those old hotels. They, they tell There's so many stories behind those walls. This is a great example. The Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado, at the base of the Rocky Mountain National Forest. And uh, real quick, I guess, what are the digital properties for our listeners to check out more about the Stanley Hotel? Yeah, the Stanley Hotel, we have a website, stanleyhotel.com. You can read more about um, doing weddings here, having stays here, um, booking your rooms, tours, all of that's online, including our other activities. We have Halloween events, Shining Balls, 
Fourth of July, we have a huge carnival coming up. Um, so there's things that we do annually that people can come up to the Stanley Hotel for. And whether you're into the paranormal or just the history, we have 104 years of rich history. We have the paranormal for people that like that. And other than that, we have outdoor activities and amazing views up here that people can just relax and enjoy themselves. You know what? That's a great point. If you don't know The Shining, if you don't like horror movies or horror books, if you hate Stephen King, if you don't like ghosts or paranormal activity, you still need to come here because it's just the rich history and the Rocky Mountains sells this place. Uh, Jesse Freitas from the Stanley Hotel Staff Services, we can't thank you enough for your time. Have a great uh, rest of your career here. I don't know if you're alive or I don't know if you're a ghost. If you're standing here in front of me, I don't care. I've had a great time at the Stanley Hotel. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. Get socially technical with The Adam Ritz Show. Facebook, Adam Ritz Show. Twitter, at Adam Ritz. It's social, technically. From the world of sports psychology, let's check in now with Lowell Whiteman from 360 Mindset. Thanks, Adam. The month of June 2013, professional sports history was marked with another story of violence about a football player that has nothing to do with the game and play on the field. University of Florida and New England Patriot tight end Aaron Hernandez was arrested for first-degree murder. Regretfully, Hernandez's past social behavior provided more than enough signals about his off-field behavior that may have led to the violent and tragic gangland killing of Odin Lloyd. As you know, Adam, I study athlete mindset that go into creating positive high-performance behavior, and in the case of Hernandez, his recent behavior may have been illegal with fatal outcomes. I start my study and research by asking questions. So if I just look at Hernandez's football behavior, I would have nothing but glowing reports. However, as you know, the many off-field stories you report, a player profile is not complete without considering their off-field and non-sport activity. On December 12, 2012, USA Today shared a report from the NFL regarding their rules for, for possession of illegal or legal firearms by NFL employees. According to recent reports and photos shared by both ESPN, CNN, TMZ, and other news services, Hernandez openly displayed his possession of a handgun. Allegedly, Hernandez stated he kept the handgun in his personal vehicle, which on occasion was parked on NFL franchisee property. When you connect the dots, Hernandez was in violation of NFL policy and subject to possible suspension. Could Odin Lloyd's death be prevented if Hernandez were held accountable for his behavior? Is Hernandez another very entitled professional athlete whose performance was so valuable that society just looked the other way when he publicly displayed a handgun? On Friday, June 28th, the England, New England Patriots offered fans who own a Hernandez jersey to exchange it for any other jersey, no questions asked. Well, I have a few questions. When Hernandez went public with his handgun, why didn't the NFL suspend him then? Did anyone remind Hernandez how he may be influencing young athletes' behavior? What other behaviors did he display that were warning signs of his arrogance and disregard for the law? Perhaps change was possible when Florida Gator teammate Tim Tebow broke up a fight in 2007, but no charges were filed after a bouncer's eardrum was ruptured. There were plenty of signs when behavior could have been trained to change. Behavior can be changed, but the courage and commitment to hold individuals accountable is too often applied after a tragic outcome from behavior that has gone unchecked. I commend the Patriots for releasing Hernandez and offering the Jersey Exchange Program. But action is misplaced as a check for the tragic behavior of Aaron Hernandez. This is Lowell Whiteman, 360 Mindset.
reporting for Adam Ritz. And now, a truly inspirational story on The Adam Ritz Show. We bring back a, a special regular guest. To the, Well, he's not special. He's just a regular guest. We've had him on the show so many times now. Lee Lonzo. Hi, Lee. Hello, Adam. Great to be back. Does it feel really great to be back on the show? You are uh, one of our original, I guess, uh, contributors to the broadcast, and uh, I think you hold the record now for the most appearances on The Adam Ritz Show. Well, uh, uh, that's a real compliment to me, and yes, it's great to be back. I listen to your show. I love listening <laughs> to the interviews. Uh, just recently, one that pops to mind was that interview with Jeff Saturday, which was awesome. Oh, cool, cool. Because uh, I'm all about mentoring, and he talks so much about mentoring. So absolutely, it's great to be back. And just real quick on your background, uh, you mentioned mentoring. You're a a lifelong educator, an attorney, a consultant. You've uh, been an athletic director, a principal, an attorney. I think I said that twice because I like attorneys so much. (laughs) Um, And now you are the principal of Lee Lonzo Consulting, and you consult um, high school organizations on how to deal with bullying and hazing. And I hear you're involved with uh, another project uh, that is really dear to our hearts with the Special Olympics. Tell us uh, more about what you're doing with high school athletic directors, high school student-athletes uh, with the Special Olympics. Well, Adam, it, it, it's been a great opportunity for me. I've been involved with uh, high school athletics my entire life, and uh, I've had the opportunity recently to work with a, a group in a, a student advisory committee Uh, These are are great student athletes from around the state, and they wanted to take on a new service project. Uh, They were aware of the NCAA model of uh, the NCAA student advisory committees working with uh, not-for-profits and doing service projects. So our kids decided that they wanted to to look around. They did some research. They had some uh, presentations, and they decided to start a brand-new project with Special Olympics. It's been just a win-win, very rewarding situation on all sides. So what is it? What do these kids do with uh, the Special Olympic athletes? They work with the athletes? Well, uh, that's just a part of it, and and let's start with that. Uh, My student athletes uh, from 18 schools around the state, uh, they have set three goals for themselves. And the first one is the category you're talking about, and that is volunteering with Special Olympics athletes. So they are running clinics. They are uh, helping Special Olympics at their regularly scheduled events. For example, this upcoming weekend, you got a bunch of tournaments going on around the state. They need scorekeepers. They need people to move things around. They need officials. They, they just need bodies uh, because Special Olympics is pretty much entirely run by volunteers. So our kids are volunteering with these athletes. In some cases, they're actually planning these events themselves. We had a, uh, a bowling party with Special Olympics athletes recently. Got some kids who have planned uh, uh, track days and softball days and soccer days in the spring with Special Olympics athletes. So that's one goal. They're also trying to help raise some money for Special Olympics. They realize that they can only offer programs if they've got money. And one of our big uh, things coming up is we, we're, we're having a national summer games in the summer of 2014 in New Jersey. So our kids are helping raise money to send people to that uh, national games. And then the third uh, goal they've set for themselves is to raise awareness about people with intellectual disabilities, and particularly uh, a Special Olympics initiative called Spread the Word to End the Word. End the word 
which is the R word, retard, retarded. Uh, Just get that out of your vocabulary, and our kids are taking a pledge not to use the R word, and they're going out to their schools and trying to get them to do that as well, all part of an anti-bullying awareness campaign. So uh, it's just been so rewarding seeing these kids latch on to this. You know, you mentioned... Uh, awareness. And um, it's something that we've dealt with a lot with charities is that sometimes organizations uh, would want to have awareness just as much as they want to have the finances. So if you can't afford to actually give money to to an organization, if you can't give a dollar bill to the Special Olympics, retweet them, go to their Facebook page, like their Facebook page, uh, share all that content, and maybe someone, one of your friends, will see something you reposted on your Facebook page, and maybe they have a dollar that they can give to the organization. So don't think just as, I don't have any extra money, I've got my own bills, I've got my own problems, that you can't help. You can't help if you get involved uh, socially and uh, just heighten the awareness. Our guest is Lee Lonzo. Uh, he's part of an initiative with uh, high school student-athletes in the Special Olympics. Does this have a title, like an actual namesake? Well, I just came back from a, a, a conference and it's hosted by Special Olympics, uh, but they generically refer to all the high school associations uh, just that way, interscholastic high school uh, athletic associations, and they are really encouraging the state-by-state cooperation and partnership between the state association and, and Special Olympics within that state. And then real quick, can you describe... Uh, the feeling that you sense that uh, a high school student athlete gets or experiences when they work with a special Olympian? Well, I, I'm just going to give you one example. I, I, I work with this junior at, at Boone Grove High School, and uh, she, uh, first of all, raised a bunch of money by jumping in freezing cold water. Polar uh, plunge. Polar plunge, and that's a big one for Special Olympics. Then she turned around and at her school organized one of these basketball games. This one was held at halftime of her varsity game. Uh, And then a few weeks later, she writes me that her boys' basketball team won the sectional, first round of the tournament, and they started to go cut down the net, and they grabbed their manager, who's a Special Olympics athlete, and had him go down and cut down the first part of the net, and the crowd went nuts. And then she turns around to me and says, thank you for giving me this opportunity. I think that says it all. That's a great example. That is, that is, it warms your heart. It That's does. awesome. Well, Lee Lonzo, we thank you for coming on the show again. We look forward to having you back. Uh, Before we let you go, how can our listeners uh, follow what you're doing? Well, I'm on Facebook, Lee Lonzo Consulting. Uh, I'm at LeeLonzo at me.com. And uh, got a webpage, LeeLonzoConsulting.com as well. I will click on it today. Awesome. Thank you very much, Adam. (laughs) The Adam Ritz Show is recorded live, both in studio and across the country. For information on this broadcast, including how to hear this show on a station in your city, visit adamritzshow.com.